Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome to the good news with Angie Austin. Now, with the good news, here's Angie. Hey there, friend. Angie Austin here with the good news. Real excited to have Jeff Schott on the show with us. His book is The One Rule Home, Destroy the World's Influence in Your Kid's Life. He is also the founder of Revive Family and One Rule Home. Uh, He has a bachelor's in marketing and a master's in biblical leadership and theology. And he's been called, I love this, the adolescent whisperer by parents and ministry leaders. And after talking with more than 3,000 kids, he has concluded that much of what he believed and read relating to parents parenting was causing problems within families. Can't wait to talk about that. Welcome, Jeff. It's great to be with you. All right, let's start with just, you know, you've interviewed all these kids. What, what, what have you learned? What are they telling you? Oh, my goodness. I learned so much. <laughs> That's such a global question. But I learned everything from why kids were struggling when they left their homes to why kids were actually hiding things from and lying to their parents. And that was probably the most stark thing for me as a parent to realize is that our kids, by the time they were about age six, seven, and eight, began to realize that if they could hide something they did wrong from their parents, they wouldn't face the music. They wouldn't face a consequence. They wouldn't lose their phone or whatever, you know, timeout or whatever was implemented. And so what we found from talking to kids of all different ages, especially in adolescents and teens, was they were highly motivated to lie to us so that they didn't face the music, which was so opposite of the way I had been trained to parent and the way I was actually parenting my kids when I started this research. It's interesting, too, because not only do they not face the music, but their parents, they believe, will not be um, let down, that they won't think less of them if they lie and don't fess up to what they've done, it, it, that then their parents' opinion of them won't decrease. Right. That was, that was so true. What we saw was one of the things they hated most, um, especially with parents that weren't as harsh with the consequences, was they hated disappointing their parents. They hated it when their parents, if their parents were fight or flight, if they were flight and they would kind of flee or withdraw when when their kids did something wrong, that seemed to actually hurt them in some ways more than the other side of the equation. Disappointing their parents really seemed to weigh heavily on many of the kids' hearts. I can totally see that. With our kids, maybe I used a little white lie to get them to tell the truth, but I, I've got three teens now. But when they were little, I would say, you know, I'm going to check the cameras. So I'm, I'm going to find out the truth. So you might as well tell me now, and then you won't get in this much trouble. And then the other one that I distinctly remember is one of them had a bite mark on their arm. And I told them, you know, before I check the cameras, I want to let you know that I'm sure you've seen those, you know, crime shows where they can, you know, look at the bite marks and determine whose teeth they are. And uh, those uh, those uh, are not anyone else's teeth. I I believe you bit yourself and come to find out he had bit himself in order to get his sister in trouble. And like and he fessed up to me. But I would always use the I'm going to check the cameras, but then we didn't have any. <laughs> well, what was really funny for me was as I changed my approach in 
really study Jesus and the and how Jesus led and how he got the woman at the well to open up and how he handled the adulterous woman the the fact that he loved and handled things very kindly and gently changed the culture of our home such that uh, my kids would come to me and voluntarily open up. I didn't have to use threats. I didn't have to use coercion. They would come to me. I remember my oldest daughter, who was nine, who by age nine, with the traditional approach to parenting, she was defensive. She would deny things. She was trying to avoid the consequence because I started as a growing kids God's way parent. And, and, so, you know, we had effectively shut down our heart. What was cool is as we did the research and began to change everything in our homes, um, uh, I'll never forget the day right before our very, my very first sermon. Um, I'm scared to death because seminary has assigned me to a church of 2,000 for my first sermon, and everything ends on time. And I'm trying to get my sermon to end on time practicing. And this huge ruckus breaks out upstairs, and I just want to scream through the ceiling, shut up to my kids, because I'm under so much pressure. But Jesus taps me on the shoulder, the Spirit convicts me and says, hey, you know, you're speaking on shepherding kids tomorrow. <laughs> so I had to go upstairs, and I walk in, and there's water everywhere, and there's this mess. And instead of reacting and, and saying who did what, I just started cleaning everything up. I served. And wow. they went deathly silent. Watch. They, they went deathly silent watching this whole mess, okay, as I cleaned it up and got the soap out of Paul's eyes because they were screaming and yelling at each other. And I turned around and walked out didn't say a thing and went back downstairs and started firing up the projector and setting the timer to try and get this thing end on time. And my now uh, 11-and-a-half-year-old daughter, uh, who would never admit she was wrong, followed me down the stairs and said, Dad, I think I set a bad example for Paul. Oh, wow. And so we sat down on the sofa, and I said, so how did you do that? And she said, well, we were washing our horses, and we didn't use soap, still afraid of the old dad, right? Right. And And then... Um, she said, and then Paul, we finished, and Paul wanted to wash his horses, and then we came in and saw the huge mess he was making, and then he got soap in his eyes, and, you know, then we started fighting, and I said, you know, Heather, I don't think you did anything wrong. She goes, well, what, really? I said, you know, um, what happened was you responded to Paul the way we used to respond to you when you did things wrong. Ah. And so we taught you to do that. And I apologize for that. We're doing it differently now, and it's a lot more enjoyable around our house. The conflict's decreased a ton, but, you know, maybe you need to learn from what we're doing now related to how you handle things with your brother. And she looked at me and goes, yeah, I think I do. And then I said, you know, and you could do me a huge favor. And she says, really? I'm like, yeah. Next time Paul wants to wash his horses, show him how to do it without the soap and how to make without making that huge mess. That would be a huge help. And she walked out of there feeling like a million bucks and very close to me. And I had to rewrite the opening to my sermon. So um, I bet you did. So you're telling me that um, Jesus wouldn't fib about having the woman at the well wouldn't fib about having surveillance cameras on her. <laughs> yeah, it'd be really tough back then. I don't think they had that technology. <laughs> woman at the well, I've got cameras. I'm going to check them. All right. So what is that? What is the biggest complaint the kids have about? dynamics within the family because i definitely would say that there's a fair amount of arguing and you know reacting with anger and i i know we're supposed to lead with love so we definitely yell too much in our family for sure and we have taught the kids that so what are kids complaining about within the dynamics of their family i think that's what my kids would complain about with ours 
Yeah, I think the, they complain about a number of things. They complain about the expectations, oh. and especially as they get older, that they 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 feel so many un unspoken, but. Uh, acted out expectations or spoken expectations, they feel like they have to be perfect around their parents. And what we found in the research is this is why they're hiding in their rooms. They hate the conflict as much as we do. It's why they're hiding on their phones, too, by the way, or on video games, is they are trying to avoid interaction with us that will lead to disappointment, yelling, anger, reactions, consequences, so they are actually intentionally making the decision to hide from us and hide in their rooms. And then what they tell us is then they're bored out of their gourds because when I grew up, at least I could get on a bike at age 10 and ride across, you know, Palatine, Illinois and go to the mall by myself. But today the fear and parents won't let that happen. So they're trapped in the house. They're trying to avoid us. They're hiding in their rooms and they get bored out of their gourds. And then they turn to the social media and they turn to the video games. And then we believe that's the problem and we attack that. That's not the problem. It's the breakdown in the relationship between us and our kids and their sense of safety with us. Interesting. And their sense of needing to be perfect for us that's causing them to turn to these social media devices, their phones, as they get bored out of their gourds because they no longer want to hang out and do stuff with us. They don't want to let us down or get in trouble or get yelled at. What What do you think kids value um, most in today's world? Well, that's the interesting part is, you know, in my generation, it was all about truth, knowledge, information. You know, information was power, you know, uh, evidence that demands a verdict, a great title for my generation of people. But this generation of kids values truth, authenticity, community. They basically value relationships far more than truth, hmm. knowledge, and information. And it's why they're so much more easily hurt in our family cultures than when we were, uh, when, when, when I was a kid. And so this fact that they're more, much more sensitive to the community and authenticity means that the way we've been parenting breaks that even more so in them and hurts them more. And parents are so frustrated. Well, you know, what I'm doing with my kid is so much better than what my parents did, but they still are avoiding me. They're still saying they're hurt by me. They're still telling me I'm a mean parent or a bad parent. You know, whatever the message is they're sending, and it's because of this fundamental change in what they value, which is why leading like Jesus is so important today with kids if we don't want them to be taken away by the world. Okay, so if we uh, if we lead like Jesus, if we show only love, don't people kind of misread that as not setting boundaries and not being tough and tough enough on the kids? Like you didn't go up and yell at the kids for making the mess, and you showed your daughter love, and she walked away feeling you know pretty good about herself and was going to react differently. And they're not as afraid to come to you now because they're not going to get screamed at. But people see if they're not, they think if they're not tough on the kids and they show only love, that they're not setting boundaries and not being hard enough on them. Right. I, I, I totally agree. And that was my fear when I was doing the research and then realized Jesus's only command was to love one another. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's way too simple. If I do that, my kids will go crazy. You know, and my nine year old was already going crazy. <laughs> so I had that same fear. What I discovered as I studied love is love has a lot of different dimensions that we've lost in our culture. And we don't realize how love actually serves as the most effective boundary. So when we changed to a one-role home and started loving each other 
and listening to each other and seeking to understand each other and the, and understand what was going on underneath the bad behavior because only 5% of thoughts and emotions are conscious. 95% are unconscious. So when repeated behavior patterns are happening with our kids, it's almost always coming from their unconscious. So they need a safe place for us to help dig in and help them come to realize what's driving that bad behavior. As we made those changes, what was cool, and we taught them about love and how love always protects, this is what happened. One day, my son, who was 13 and had really only one friend in this new town we'd moved into and who had encountered a lot of social challenges due to being way behind in his reading because he's dyslexic and some other things, uh, he comes to me and says, Dad, uh, actually calls from school and says, Dad, what do I do? Um, Max, my one friend has asked me to pee in a cup so he can pass his parents' drug test. Oh. He, had, he had just been grounded for three months uh, until marijuana cleared his system, and 10 days later, the grounding didn't change the marijuana. There was roots going on underneath that in the unconscious that no one helped Max deal with. And so Max was back to the drugs within 10 days, and he came to my son and said, you're the only person I know that can pass the drug test. My siblings can't pass it. My other friends can't pass it. Um, and so will you pee in a cup for me? And, and, so, and he calls me and says, Dad, if, if I don't pee in a cup for him, I'll probably lose my one friend. And I said, you know, you're going to have to determine what love looks like for Max. And since he understood love and understood the dimensions of love, he said, okay, I'll think about it and I'll get back to you. He called me at the end of the day and he said, Dad, I said, what are you going to do? And he goes, well, you know, if, if Max keeps doing drugs, he's already talking about crossing over to harder drugs. That's not what's best for him. That's not protecting him. Mm-hmm. So that's not, lo- that's not loving him because it's not doing what's best for him. So, Dad, I'm going to tell him no. But I'm really scared I'm going to lose him as a friend. And he was in tears. I, I, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm really I'm really proud of him. Unfortunately, we're, I'm going to have to have you come back. OK, so uh, Jeff Schott, give okay. us your website for the One Rule Home. Yes, it's onerulehome.com. Hey there, friend. Angie Austin here with the good news. We've heard a lot in the news about cyber attacks, and some of the attacks are just unbelievable. And uh, the organizations they go after and, you know, even put, you know, hospital patients in danger. Shocking. Uh, so how do we stop this? Uh, how do we protect ourselves? How do big businesses protect themselves? Well, who better to have uh, help us than the vice president of product and design for IBM Cloud? Brianna Frank is joining us. Welcome, Brianna. Thank you so much for having me. Well, this is quite a, um, an interesting area of expertise. I was just telling some kids recently that this is a great area uh, to get into because there's so much need. Am I right about that? I think you're spot on. There's so much need. In fact, I was actually speaking to some kids just this week and um, in the Computer Science National Honor Society, and this is a big topic. Um, and I think cybersecurity is definitely a really interesting space to, to explore. Now, um, yeah, I even saw there was a program, like a 10-month program at the University of Colorado. I'm in the Denver metro area. And then all these people were writing underneath, like, you can't get into uh, this field with this little education, this, that. And I'm thinking, I'll bet you can get your toe in the water, though, and the organizations will help train you more because they need them so badly. I just kind of, an aside, but that's what I was thinking in my head. 
I love that approach. I agree completely. All right, let's talk about the main concerns raised in the National Cybersecurity Strategy and the U.S. Treasury's cl- uh, uh, cloud report. Can you talk about that and how uh, IBM uh, plans to address those? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think you you were kind of touching on this. And so much is going on. I saw a stat recently that you know by 2026, half of the world's revenue will come from new sources, new services, businesses, channels. There's a lot of innovation happening. And, you know, what I think the Treasury report was really indicating is that with this innovation, cloud technology is here to stay. How do we mitigate that risk? How do we prevent against potential cyber um, attacks? And, you know, some of the things that they, you know, recommended in around, you know, reducing your concentration risk. And, you know, IBM, we're really, this is a major focus area for us. I mean, obviously security is a big part of everything that we we do, but we also have created a, um, a financial services cloud council. And what that is, is 80 different banks have come together. Um, and what we've done with, along with regulators across the world, and what we've done is really harness the collective intelligence of all of these experts and come up with a framework of controls that help us make sure that we have the right security controls in place in our cloud. And, and that's just one way that we've addressed it. But, um, you know, really working with the experts to see, you know, how, how you know, the specific industry concerns that, they're, that, are, that have arisen based on, you know, the evolving security landscape and threats. When you say reduce your concentration, what does that mean? So it's a great question. So that really means that instead of having all of your applications or workloads in one cloud, oh. you can reduce your risk by, you know, running applications and workloads on many different clouds or maybe on your on-prem data center. In IBM, we really believe strongly that a hybrid multi-cloud approach is the best approach to, to combat that concentration risk. And we've thought for a long time for many different reasons that you may want to run your applications in, in you know, on-prem for, for whatever reason. And maybe it's because your data resides there and you want to keep your data there. Or maybe because of, you know, a, a regulation or a specific country um, a compliance issue. Where Whatever the specific need of that workload or that company, you may want to have your workloads running in many different locations. And we, we feel you should embrace that. And in fact, that can actually be a a great way to um, increase your security. Um, And we have things like IBM Cloud Security Compliance Center that allow you to have a dashboard where you can see all of your workloads, where they're running, and you can look and, you know, make sure that the security posture is in place, that there's no security configuration issues. And and that's really valuable because it really simplifies the, the security management aspect. Oh, cool. Okay. So, um, you know, I think back to like my parents or like the little small town we lived in, in that little bank that had the gold lion in front. And um, we never would worry that like someone in Russia was getting our information or, um, you know, on the, con- you know, African continent that someone is, you know, going to call us and has access to our you know info. So for someone a little bit older than you are, when I think about the cloud, and especially when my mom thinks about the cloud, I mean, I'm sure she's like, oh, they're so puffy and beautiful. 
beautiful. Like she has no idea what the cloud is. So how do we know? Like I, I get, I, I definitely understand the concentration now, or, and um, and you know, uh, reducing that or spreading that out. I love the idea that you have the dashboard, uh, so organizations can see where all their stuff is and how secure it is. But can like, do the average consumer be secure or feel secure about the cloud? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that um, one of my favorite, it's just one feature, but one of my favorite ways to kind of articulate some of the things that we're doing and sort of our philosophy in IBM is this this one feature called keep your own key. And okay. the idea here is keys are like your passwords or your, your secrets. Um, and we allow our clients to keep their own keys. We do not have access to them. Oh. So even if we're subpoenaed, we can't give those, we can't hand those secrets or, or keys over because we never have access to them. And it's just one feature, but I really feel like it, it helps kind of contextualize our whole philosophy on how you know serious we are about security and how serious we are about protecting consumer data. Um, now, in terms of all of these, you know, regulations, um, uh, how uh, is, is that going to have a big impact on you? We've talked a little bit about the uh, U.S. Cl- uh, the cloud, tre- U.S. Treasury cloud report. Is that going to have a big impact on um, businesses, organizations, IBM, et cetera? I, you know, I think it is going to have a big impact. And one of the the great, um, I think, uh, the benefits is that we've been working with um, specifically the financial industry for quite some time, mm-hmm. working hand in hand with banks and regulators. And because we've done that, and we've built a framework and we've built controls into our cloud that allow the regulators to feel a little bit more comfortable with the level of security that we're providing. Mm-hmm. So we found that that's actually been um, super successful, but it definitely is something that, you know, con- you know, our uh, enterprises have to worry about is there's going to be increased regulation. And so they need to make sure that they're, you know, uh, embarking on uh, cloud in a, in a really um, thoughtful way. Now, in terms of the future, you know, I have to be honest, I haven't heard as much about like um, a hospital being taken over and all the information on patients and patients are put at risk because, you know, uh, within the next 10 minutes, they maybe don't know about what what care is to be given to that patient or they're afraid it's going to be released or, you know, getting a hold of huge organizations, email lists or passwords. I haven't heard as much about that. So I I believe as just a lay person that there has been improvement, which you're telling me about. What do you foresee in the future for the future of cybersecurity? Yeah, and I think a lot of that actually has to do with the governance in place in, in healthcare. That's the that's the example that you've gave, that you've given, and we we work with healthcare organizations where we actually extend the cloud into an on-prem hospital uh, data center, and the data never leaves that hospital. Oh, wow. and so I do think that. The governance um, provide, you know, there's an increased governance, of course, with healthcare, and really locking down that data is really important. So, so we do that a lot. But I think what your question is really about the future. I think the future is really in, around quantum, and IBM is committed to protecting our clients' data now into the future. But quantum is an area that we really invested quite a bit. And one of my favorite things to do is actually look at to, to visit our research center in um, in New York, where we can where the where a lot of our quantum um, work is being done. But you know, quantum opens up all kinds of really really interesting use cases, but it also can pose a threat um, if you know not used correctly. And so, IBM's cryptographic solutions are resistant to the threat of you know that that can be posed by quantum computing. And, and I think that's really important that we stay ahead of of that technology. 
So I'm assuming, you know, I'm a mom of three teenagers. I'm assuming that when you got into all of this and initially, you know, got, had an interest in this area, that you have very good math skills would be my first guess. Yeah, I think math and problem solving. And I think, um, you know, if you're if you're thinking about getting into any sort of technology, I think just a a, a quest for knowledge, really trying to understand and get deeper and you know, getting under under the real root problem and really understanding. Um, and if you just have a lot of curiosity and you're willing to keep going deeper, I think that that's a really good trait to have if you're interested in technology. You know, I, I've been 25 years in TV news and radio news, and so it's cool I get to inter- interview people with so such diverse backgrounds. So I always like to ask, like, where did this start? How did this interest start for you? I mean, when I look at your, your bio, I mean, it just is mind-blowing to me, like what you've worked on, the Red Hat OpenShift on IBM Cloud, IBM Cloud Satellite, IBM Cloud Code Engine. You're talking about quantum. Like, it's a whole different language for me. So how did this all start for you, this interest? market really pulled me um, to technology. And I think at first I was a little reluctant. You know, I don't have a traditional technology background, but um, the market kept pulling me and opportunities kept, you know, arising in the technology field. And once you start getting into it, it's super interesting. And and if you are the kind of person that likes to invent new solutions or you just want to solve problems, I really enjoy kind of listening to my users and saying, all right, well, what are you struggling with? And then figuring out how to solve that with, you know, code and technology. And so that kind of got me hooked. And and a lot of these technologies that we're talking about haven't even existed five, 10 years. So I think it's really great for someone like me who I left the workforce as a mom for a while, I came back, okay. you're able to catch up because you can, you can actually learn these things. Um, it is possible. There, it's, it's new for everyone. And so if you have that quest, you can, um, you know, you can pretty, you can become deep, you know, deeply entrenched in the technology. Do you have any daughters by any chance? I do. I have a son and a daughter, so I have one of each. It's cool. It's a, it's a, it's a, a, you're a really good role model for young women, too, because as you know that, you know, the, the whole um, STEM area and, you know, um, coding and a lot of that. My, um, ne- my niece is in a coding class and she was the only girl. So kind of cool, um, you know, for them, they must be really proud to, to have their mom be a vice president at IBM. That's pretty neat. Yeah, so I, you know, I hope they are proud, but, you know, kids are, um, you know, they have their own ideas of things. But, man, I am so impressed with the younger generation. And I think because many of them have had to go through uh, the pandemic, they've had to learn online, their ability to synthesize information and learn on their own is so much more, you know, evolved than I think we have and so I'm really interested in the next generation, what they're going to be capable of, because they 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 understand now how to learn on their own and they're very self-directed. So it's the future is really going to be bright for them. Yeah, and maybe that is the benefit of the pandemic. I talk a lot about my son on the show because he's um, just finishing his junior year and he uh, started his own business when he was 13. And it's a full on viable, like real deal. You could be an adult surviving on this business that he's built and um, just how he's been able to build social media and everything. And I think the pandemic time was really um, difficult for them. But maybe that is the silver lining that they are able to learn on their own and be a little more independent. I think you're spot on. It's funny. My daughter was in middle school during that time and 
her school actually sent a note out saying, we're sorry, we are terrible at, you know, teaching math online and we didn't do a great job. And we were really concerned that, you know, how is she going to catch up? But I think it actually taught her to use tools. There's apps where that will take a picture of a math problem and tell you where you went wrong and correct it. And you get that immediate feedback. I actually feel like once she learned to embrace that, she's much stronger and she's really good at math now. Well, that's so I do think mind blowing. I didn't know. I don't. I didn't know that. That's great information. From I've got three going into high school now. Three in high school. All right, we're almost out of time. So uh, sorry to interrupt you, Brianna. Give us uh, a website where we can get more info. info. Absolutely, IBM.com/cloud ibm.com slash cloud. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin on AM 670 KLTT.